What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 115 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Today, we get to sit down with one of those truly great leaders. You may have read her one of her books. You may have heard her amazing podcast she does with her husband, Gabe. You may have heard her speak on a platform across America. But what you know is if you meet Rebecca Lyons, you know that she is a person that is allowing God to use her in this season and place that she's in in life. She says this about herself. She's an old soul with a contemporary, honest voice where she talks about some things others may want to hide, their depression, battles, and anxiety, but in the middle of that, finding their God-given purpose. Rebecca is the mom of four children, two of whom have Down syndrome, and she is one of those people that when you meet her, she just leaves you better than she found you. Her latest book, Rhythms of Renewal, is a classic because she talks about how in all of our lives, there are rhythms that God's put into place and finding those healthy rhythm rhythms is really what it's all about. And today we're going to be talking about that together. You are going to be inspired. You're going to be challenged. And I promise you at the end of the day, Rebecca will leave you better than she found you. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Miss Rebecca Lions. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking time to join me on our podcast. It's an honor to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's, it's so exciting. So here you are, your wife, your mom of four. You lead it, you help lead an amazing company, Q. You host a podcast. You're a best-selling author. How crazy can crazy get in Rebecca Lyons' world? How crazy can it get on you? Oh, it can get very crazy <laughs> for sure. And I, you know, I used to think that was a sign of success. Mm. I would say in years past, it was like the more busy your itinerary was, the more significant your life must be. And definitely the Lord just turned that on its head. I would say in these last three years, it's been a backpedaling on that kind of life. It's been a reordering from the ground up almost to the point because my life coach tells me if you burn out truly burn out you'll never return to that vocational work and that's I, I felt signs of that about three years ago and just thought I love this so much I can't fathom not not doing it and and so it really took some prudence and discipline even our decision to adopt our youngest joy from China I remember asking God does this mean I quit writing or quit teaching or quit traveling or quit speaking and I just kept hearing God say do you trust me and what that meant was yes it might require that mm -hmm. and you need to be okay with that and as a result it just reordered my 
my desires and my identity. And so now I would say, while I still carry those things, I've learned that without a team, it's just not possible. And I also hold the successes and the failures a lot more loosely. They don't, they don't impact um, my worth or identity. And, and I don't mean to say like, I've got it all figured out. I just mean to say like, God has shown me the real desires of my heart are my, my closest people loving me the most. Mm. <laughs> um, and so that's been, you know, 46 years in the making, you know, I think we all trip into that. That's we right. really want to prove something in our twenties, in our thirties. And by the time we're in our mid forties, we're too tired to keep trying to prove you're, something. You're exactly right. You're, <laughs> so take me back, take me back to Rebecca. I bet even back then, cause I've heard you talk about a numerous podcast and things I've read about you, uh, Becca book, you were always a reader and readers are leaders. We know that, um, here's, here's Rebecca graduating from high school, heading to Liberty university, the common grounds, not the Liberty everybody knows today, but right. you were, the, you were there, there, you were there when we were all entertained by a water wheel in DeMoss, which, yeah. which now, the spirit rock, the spirit rock. The, My year was responsible for the spirit rock. Getting dear, like, Jesus, what drew like, us? It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? It's crazy. So you go to Liberty, you had a dream. I have a feeling of what you thought your life would look like mm -hmm. and the voice that God would eventually give you. If you went back to 18, 19 year old, Rebecca, tell me who you thought that was going to be. You know, it's interesting. I think Rebecca in high school almost had more um, clarity of vision um, than even Rebecca in college. I found that, um, so I started playing trumpet when I was in fourth grade. And by the time I was in eighth grade, I was one of three girls out of 14 boys that played trumpet. By the time I was in 10th grade, I was first chair of 13 guys. And my junior and senior year, I became the drum major, which meant I was just leading the band of all 70 people in my high school and calling the plays, you know, marching, symphonic, jazz, youth symphony, you name it. I, I was in it. So I was almost already at that age um, being what we would call, if you are familiar with the Enneagram, a yep. type three, one who performed for love, one yep. who um, found their worth and value in what they, what was external and what they could lead and being high capacity, firstborn, type A, kind of all those things. And then what happened was even in high school, I feel like the Lord gave me a little bit of a cheat sheet on <laughs> like what <laughs> happens when you play this out at a young age. Um, you know, I just remember kind of uh, for those two years of leading that band, I would say that end of towards that last year, I was already fatigued because I was working basically a full-time job outside of school home, not till about six 30 or seven each night competing on weekends in different States. Cause we would do festival States with yep. bands around the country. We were a very good band, um, marching band. And, um, by the time I got to college, I was like, I just kind of want to be with friends and get to know people mm. and do. And so college, um, was more of an exhale, um, but I still knew that the Lord had, um, I had a painful, uh, breakup of an engagement at towards the end of college. And that's when the Lord got my attention again. And 95, that shows my age, but I was 21, almost 22. And God just like, you're, you can go ahead and just dictate what this coasting. Cause I almost was coasting at that point. Mm -hmm. He's like, but you know, that there's like some grit in your upbringing that, wasn't wasted and isn't wasted. And there was also a tenderness and a vulnerability towards my spirit that I also want you. And so it was like, he cracked through that heartache. He cracked the door open. That's when I started journaling and got gut level honest with the Lord. 
And it wasn't until a couple years later that Gabe and I started to get serious. And we realized we kind of had that, not survivor mentality, but a little bit of the, um, like if you get one wild and precious life, like Mary Oliver says, yeah. like, what do you, what do you want? How willing are you to let the Lord use it? It's, mm. it's not even so much about what do you want? It's how surrendered are you to the call of whatever that means? And I just remember in that season, we were very like-minded on going, like, we just want it to be obedient and we mm. want it to be full of risk. If that's what God invites us into, because that's where faith grows and so we wouldn't have had it like planned out or predicted. And I certainly wouldn't have saw having a special needs son three years in changing the trajectory of what we thought, you know, was valuable, but God absolutely used that as a catalyst to grow our faith in launching Q or me, you know, leaving work and coming home for a season. I mean, everything in our life, I would say now 23 years into marriage, has been completely unexpected, but in the same way, kind of intuitive because God usually invites you into things that require sacrifice and risk and always takes you somewhere you couldn't have found yourself on your own. That's so true. You know, you talked about the, the, uh, having your little boy and what a life change it Gabe's in his dream job working here in the city. You're working at North Point, which was just coming out of the ground, but already beginning to do great things. And we all love Andy and what they're doing over there. Um, but you made a comment. This is really interesting. You you had Kate, and you were meeting with a friend and said, we were praying for him to be whole. Mm -hmm. And the friend said to you, maybe your version of wholeness and God's version of wholeness look different. Right. When she said that to you, what happened in you? What began to change yeah. even about your view of what you were going through? Um, you know, I just think the kingdom is always an upside down kingdom. So mm -hmm. you've got the public life and you've got the private life. Um, I've been reading, rereading Gordon McDonald's ordering your private world, because I think it's a, it's a, it's a lifesaver for any type, type a, um, Enneagram three <laughs> achiever out there. It basically says you are either building a public external platform or you're, or you're ordering your private world in such a way that God really sees the heart, you know? And, and I think Cade was a litmus test for that mm. of what was mm. valuable. Um, and so when I thought of what my version or God's version meant, God just, just said, Hey, I, I really don't care what the output is that you think you're doing for me. What I care about is, are, do you trust me? Are you walking with me? Do you, do you abide in me is, um, you know, later it's kind of this idea of like, he cares about our presence more than our performance. Like well, that's good. was, was that, um, time with him like a deep abiding wellspring of life? Or was it like, I'm just kind of skimming the surface trying to get back out there. And I only think that we get back out there because we've had some private rejection in our mm. lives at some point. And so the Lord also told me, Rebecca, public affection cannot heal private rejection. There's mm. no amount of likes or retweets or follows. It's going to heal a heart wounded that usually happened in your upbringing on some level. Maybe it wasn't ever intentional. Maybe it was just emotional, but in the end, you still felt lacking. And a lot of us have felt that. I mean, yep. no, none of us were raised with perfect families or perfect parents. We all bring what we got from the, right. our childhood. We put our best foot forward. Um, 
but we can certainly heal a lot faster when we acknowledge that and admit our vulnerabilities and um, confess and ask for forgiveness quite often in our home, as a matter of fact. But all that to say, I just think Cade, God used Cade out of the gates to show me how vulnerable I was as mm. a daughter in the same way Cade was as my son. Like, oh, so this is what unconditional love really looks like. Because at that point, I was just fighting for Cade to live. You know, he has yep. failure to thrive right out of the womb. And he was in the NICU for a week. And the diagnosis was secondary. The The actual him living was all that mattered. And yep. I think sometimes that, that label or that um, way we see someone through the lens of their, like, what's wrong with them versus just the identity that they are beloved. Yep. Um, first and foremost, that taught me a lot as a daughter while I'm learning how to care for my son. What have you learned since? So, and the reason I asked this question, my, my nephews turned 30, they turned 30 and one was born with downs and mm. one wasn't twins. Mm. It was crazy. Wow. Emory did all kinds of studies on them. And I remember when Nick was born and us going, we, we didn't have any idea is yeah. a family. And now you look at it. He's the best kid in the family. He's never, <laughs> he's never, he's never in trouble. I mean, it's yeah. like all the other grandkids have gone or for my parents, all the other grandkids would have made in different directions. Um, what have you learned as a parent of a Downs child that's changed you mm. from the parent you thought you would be? Because yeah. everybody, everybody's got this journey of parenthood. They think it's going to be. Yeah. And then you get this information, which as you know, and what my family's aren't, isn't bad information. It's just information. Mm -hmm. What's changed about you? What would you say as a parent? Yeah, I would say, so Cade will be 20 in two wow, weeks. That's so awesome. that that's, it's so weird. I was at a doctor's appointment yesterday and with my daughter. And I said, I said, I was in a doctor's office like this 20 years ago and 39 weeks pregnant, like about ready to have our half Kate. It's so crazy. I'm that old. And she's like, wow, I went, she goes, I wasn't even alive then. I'm like, you're right. You stop were. talking. It just just stop takes, talking. Cause there was like a young mom that came in with her baby. And I was like, that was me. That's oh me my and my, when I was 20, 26. But, um, I would say a parenting, I, I wish I could say like, this is what parenting has talk, taught yeah. me, but even, 20 years in, I feel like Kate is still surprising me. And mm -hmm. every season of parenthood has actually shifted my posture. I think God just created parenting to keep us humble forever That's and always. The truth. Amen. That is the truth. <laughs> it's like, you might, you might have some conquests in these other areas of life, but it's going to be your children that actually call you out and see, see everything as it is. And um, I would say in those early years, it was really hard with Cade because developmentally, we did, it was so many unknowns. Yeah. I would say midlife with Cade, um, mid-adolescence with Cade was very easy because he was so agreeable. Yeah. Um, and the other two, like I would say the other two brought more kind of tension and dynamics because it's just called puberty and lots <laughs> of high emotions in seventh grade. Um and then I would say, honestly, this last year with Kate has probably been my hardest year as his mom, um, mm -hmm. because partly it's not like he changed personality, but we did bring joy home yeah. um, two years ago from China. And while Kate is and Kate is very largely nonverbal. And so he's had to internalize a lot of um, displacement. Honestly, mm -hmm. everyone, uh, my counselor told me when you adopt every it'll be trauma for everyone in your family, because every single person will be displaced. Yeah. 
their position in the family, what it used to look like, no longer looks like that. She goes, but it's also the best thing that you could do. And you absolutely have to do it if you feel that God's asked you to do it. Mm. So I kind of went into adoption with those rose colored glasses of going, yes, it's going to be good. But then also, and Joy's been just remarkably wonderful at transition. I just see that with Cade less verbal than her, I almost see frustration in him Yeah, that's new. And so I'm just calling it as it is. I, I would say the Lord has used these last 18 months as Kate's mom to keep me kind of back on my knees like the way I was when he was born. Mm, that's so good. And the story of joy is amazing. I heard you tell that yeah. story of how you guys... That is a phenomenal story. You mind sharing that a little bit about y'all have been thinking about it and wondering what that meant for you guys. Share a little bit of that story, Rebecca. Yeah. I I mean, you know, we were about to celebrate our 20th. It was three years ago. And um, I had told the Lord a couple of years prior to that, that if you want this to happen, because adoption was about a three minute conversation every three years. But it was kind of like, could we, should we, maybe, no, I guess we're good. Like we always felt full, <laughs> but it was also that sand in your shoe that you couldn't shake. You know, yeah. it's like, it was like irritating enough. It never fully went away, but you also didn't kind of have the courage or the peace to proceed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I just remember one year pulling into my garage, we had moved to Nashville at this point. We were no longer in New York city. So we've had a little more capacity or even space to consider yeah. adoption. And, um, I just said, if you want this to happen, I need you to put her right in front of me and I'll name her Joy. And um, that was kind of the end of it. And the reason I wanted to name her Joy is I was coming out of, you know, a seven year run of like low grade uh, depression, struggling with panic attacks and then anxiety, chronic anxiety. And I just felt like uh, I, de- you know, declared Psalm 126, those who sow in tears, bearing the seed, reap mm. the songs of joy, carrying the harvest, carrying those sheaves with them. And it was this idea of like, for years, I just kept crying out, restore to me the joy of my salvation, restore to me. I knew that joy is not the absence of darkness. It's the confidence that the darkness will lift. And That's so right. it was kind of this promise. And so I just let that be what it was with the Lord. And then I kind of just buried it. You know, I, we moved forward. I was like, you're going to be, the point was you're in the driver's seat, God, and you make it evident. And so two years later, unbeknownst to me, out of nowhere, I get a text of a little girl in China right in front of my face. And it's my friend Meredith, who was running a a foster home over there for kids who needed heart surgeries. And um, I was like, she's so cute, you know, whatever. And it was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be swayed by this. (laughs) (laughs) I went to Liberty. I've seen this on a Sunday night service. I know know what you're doing to me. I'm very aware. I was like, is this the Holy Spirit or is this Meredith? Because I'm a little confused by which one is which right now. That is funny. And um, I said, she's adorable. What's her name? And she said, Cara and um, C-H-A-R-A. And I knew because we have a mutual friend and Ann Voskamp, a dear friend. And I was like, Ann wrote a whole book about how Cara is like joy. Um, you know, the Greek word for joy. I said, Oh, so you mean you named her like she's named after the Greek word for joy. And she said, yes. And I was like, okay, God. Okay, (laughs) fine. So it was kind of, even then I brought it up to Gabe thinking Gabe would be my out. And he was like, I really feel like God's inviting us into something. He was so like within two days, completely confirmed. And at that point, once Gabe's decided something, I mean, we, it's like, Oh yeah you're going to move the Titanic. If He's like, why would we keep talking about it? I mean, it's like a, a principled decision based on conviction. <laughs> and like, here we go. It took me a little longer, I will say, because I just had all those fears of like, mm. hey, I, I didn't work when I was raising littles last time, or I didn't at least work outside the home in the way that I do now. Um, so it was just kind of a bit of a reset. But I would say 
that's like what I alluded to at the beginning. And I think that God, that God was using that even then to go, I just want to continue to remind you what matters most. Um, that, that, and, and I think really what matters most to God's is our willingness and yeah. our surrendered. Yes. And, um, and so God's used that with joy in the last three years. I mean, we, we wound up picking her up a year later. We got her from China really at the right window that we could have. I mean, had we waited, you know, would have been a little, a lot of different, a lot right. different in COVID years. And I, and I know a lot of families who have been placed and matched and had a travel date and now they've had to wait and wait mm. and wait. And so I'm praying for them. I know it's, that's like a labor of endurance um, mm. for sure, but we've had joy home now for two years and it's been such a gift. It really has. I mean, and she's a bright light. She's so fun. She's a joy bomb yep. for sure. That just explodes. Um, and I think the Lord's just taught me more about um, just like, with Kate, I think he's taught me more about like how I can take on the orphan mentality, mm. you know, like how we can all operate as an orphan or we can operate as a son or a daughter of God. And it's more choosing to believe um, where our worth is found um, and where his provision and protection mm. is found. And so 2020 for sure has taught us all a lot about that. Yeah, I think. That's, you posted a picture on Instagram the other day of her and Kate together and you said, they don't care who won the presidential election. And that was right. such a great, that was such a great, yes, life's going to go on and they're okay. And we're all going to be okay. If we could have their disposition, it would be a better world. Yeah. There is no doubt about that. You mm -hmm. know, part of you and who you are now, you're known for your newest book, Rhythms of Renewal, Free Fall to Fly, uh, you know, you've been so open about your story on the Today Show, Good Morning America. I've heard you on a bazillion podcast. The other day, you interviewed Max Lucado. You and uh, you and Gabe interviewed Max, and Max ended the podcast, and he said, "A sermon I always give whenever I travel, and I always say, let God love you, let God heal you, let God hold you, and let God have you." It's one of the most powerful things simplistic things that will probably end up in a sermon very soon, but very simplistic things that I've ever heard. When you began to think about Rebecca opening up this part of you with anxiety, depression, almost beginning a public platform with things most people want to hide. What was mm. the fear that was speaking into your ear of don't tell anybody this. You look so put together. You and Gabe have this great life. You've got this great family. What were some fears you had to overcome to be vulnerable enough to tell that story? Well, I would say when I first experienced panic attacks that really launched all of this, um, mm -hmm. I was actually a little bit, nobody knew who I was. I didn't have a following. I was Gabe's wife through Q and helping yeah. support that. Um, in fact, the very first piece I really wrote was for you um, in the middle of this season called Why Are Women Fading? And I was just speaking to this idea that women march off to college ready to charge hell with a water pistol. And then two decades later, they've lost a sense of who they are or the worth or value they carry. They almost get lost in the obscurity of housekeeping, um, homemaking, child raising. And it's not that all those things aren't honorable but there's still a call of God as a daughter right, um, right. that encompasses a broader picture of that. And, and I think it was me alluding to back to the drum major, right. Or Becca book, or like, you know, there was still kind of a, a, a vulnerability that I had as a daughter that just wanted to chase after adventure um, that God would lead in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think sometimes we can press the gas or the brake 
on control, whether it's like, I'm going to quit everything and just be home full time, or I'm going to go work full time and just have a nanny. You know, we almost want boundaries that are so extreme so we can out of fear, maintain some level of control. And what I wanted to do was go, I want to embrace the complexity of going, there's not a right or wrong here. There's an obedience here. Mm -hmm. And if God is saying, I've entrusted you to gifts inside the home and outside the home. And it, while it, People would always in that season be like, can you have it all? And there was all these feminist arguments. I had moved to New York City for crying out loud. So of yeah. course, that was like the pivotal place where these things were happening. And I was like, well, of course, it feels indulgent to say yes. But if all means all of God, then that means there's probably a playbook that looks beyond the boundaries of we call what we culturally have tried to construe between one party or the other. Mm -hmm. And that could, that argument can go across politics or, you know, that, that can go everywhere. I think it's like God is holding us in the tension to be carriers of a gospel of peace. And, um, I guess in that season, I just wasn't afraid to talk about it because it almost, I've, I am a little bit of an outlier. I like to be an antagonist to the point where I'm like, I just, I'm not sure if we're really having the right conversation or, or even asking the right questions. We're glazing over these categories of Democrat and Republican or, you know, stay at home mom or working mom or feminist or liberal. And the labels actually are alienating and polarizing more than ever than going, God is like, what are we as sons and daughters that are chosen and beloved and appointed and set apart? Mm. Um, that's, that's kind of the identity that I want to start with. And then go, sure, we might disagree, but um, in the end, what does honor look like towards one another? What what does humility and kindness look like? So I guess I just was speaking from a voice that, you know, maybe wasn't being heard that much because it was a little too too friendly to both sides mm. and relatable to both sides. And, and I wasn't too worried about the church either because when I found a bunch of my friends in church having um, a lot of stress and anxiety and not feeling like a ch- the church was a safe place to take that, I thought, well, good grief. We're, you can't heal what is hidden. So yeah. if we can't be honest about what, where our struggles are, certainly that's just religion. Mm. I mean, good grief. Anything that we're just hiding and like looking very put together on the outside and, and internally angst we're just not being honest. And Mm. so let's just start there. And then as a result, I think it resonated for people. I think it resonated big time, men and women. I've heard you and Gabe talk about that. I mean, it's not just a, well, this is something a lady goes through. This is something a man goes through. Everybody goes through these things. Maybe not to the extent you did where it was crippling in many ways um, from the anxiety and everything that you went through, but you can't heal what is hidden. Knowing that to be true, why do most people why would most people rather keep it hidden? Why would they not want people to know that side of them? Shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, shame is a killer. Shame is like the enemy that just whispers, like you're so unworthy um, of love because of all the things you've done. So it's like condemnation. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's like textbook 101 in the church. We've, we've recited there's that now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we say it, but we don't really understand what that means. And we don't truly believe it because if there was no condemnation on us and we really, God says, Hey, when I see you, I see the righteousness of Christ on you. Yes. I do also know that you yelled at your kid yesterday and you stalked <laughs> someone online. And then you went to your closet and ate four donuts, right? Yep. I saw that too, but that doesn't define you. Um, mm. I love Hebrews 10. It saved my life. When I read it a decade ago, it's like, 
I read it with fresh eyes. He says, um, when Jesus says um, he took the price once and for all, God then declared, I will no longer remember their sins or their lawless acts. I will write my covenant on them and I will bind them on their hearts and their minds. I will no longer remember their sins mm. or their lawless. And I was thinking of first Corinthians 13, where it says real love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. If that's what real love is. And then God sees us that way. It's not like cheap grace. It's not like, Oh, you can go out and just rebellion and sin and live in that. But what it does mean is like the tempter will still tempt. God will still call us to sanctification. Um, we will, we're finite and desperate in need of a savior. We will trip up like Paul we will do things we don't want to yep. do. But in the end, do we believe that we've been redeemed mm. and that we are a redemptive work still in process? Yeah. And if so, then we would just choose to submit to his authority out of um, just a desire for holiness, knowing we're not going to get it always right. Mm. We're just not. And the beauty of not always getting it right reminds us of how much we need God, of how much he is God and we are not. And I think sometimes um, the gift of tripping up, and I'm not mm. saying I like mm. it, um, but it keeps me very humble and it keeps me very desperate and very submitted to going, God, um, you see what I cannot see. And so I repent, I confess I reject and renounce those lies or those actions or those behaviors. And I continue to come under your covering of grace. That's so good. You know, it's funny. You would think the church would be that. I mean, it's created for that, but yet it hasn't, right? We've all lived around that. It hasn't always. Um, what would happen if people began to live that way? What would happen if we could live where shame was in the background, not in the in the forefront? And we were able to not only invite others into our pain, but invite, and you talk about a lot, inviting God into your pain. I've heard you talk about that numerous times. What could change about us as people and as creations if we were able to do that? Well, I think we condemn other people because we condemn ourselves first, right? <laughs> so, so if true. we've not, if we've not had so the true. ability to actually receive the forgiveness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, that's the only freedom that breaks off the shame. Yeah. So if we actually believe that Christ has said, I condemn you, like the woman in caught in adultery, that's right. um, yeah. he's like, neither do I condemn you. Mm. You know, he was the only one that could cast a stone. He had no sin. He said, neither do I. And I just resonate. I'm like, thank God for that story. Yes. I mean, this is a woman that like slept with a bunch of people. She's in a circle waiting to be stoned to death. And Jesus, who is spotless, said, hey, they can't condemn you. And guess what? I could and I mm. choose not to. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's like that kind of like lavish, mm. um, that lavish, like risky scandalous grace that people talk about like they would be like why would jesus do that she deserved it yada yada and yet he's like no no this is the whole point guys that's you right. all deserve you all deserve something but that's not what i came for i didn't mm. come to give you what you deserve i came to take the price so that you would be free yeah. i bought your freedom and so i think once we start to receive that like for me when i when the shame was lifted off of me having panic um it was so easy to talk about it because mm. it wasn't my story of struggle. It was his story of rescue. Right. So it was mm. like, this isn't That's even good. about, this isn't even about me. This is about just how kind and merciful God is. And when I really know that in my bones, then when I trip, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you guys, you would not believe mm. this. I, I think uh, these were the factors involved. I responded in a way that was not at all what I wanted. And I just uh, easy, fast, quickly 
just said, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Um, And then when somebody else does it, you can actually go, Hey, it's cool. Like I have actual empathy for you because I have done the same thing. I think the problem is, is we can't even find empathy for one another because we're too busy judging each other because we're too blind to our own sin. But when we know our sin and we've seen that like pardon that beautiful pardon that's just lifted i call it mercy like Mm. the words mercy have come off my lips a ton in prayer this year like god your mercy is so great like you you don't have to and yet you do and you do it over and over again and i will never take that for granted um and so you extend me mercy so that i can extend somebody else Mm. mercy like Mm. there is no reason to keep a record of wrongs because none of us are going to get it right perfectly ever and, and, and I think what you've done, Rebecca, in a light of what you could have covered it up, but you told the story, and I think you're seeing how it resonates. And now you and Gabe are doing a great podcast, and every guest you have, you hear this resonating, yeah, me too. I've been through this. This is the area of struggle that's brought me to this place. I remember walking in a seminary class years ago, and the guy, it was a week-long class, like our modulars used to be at Liberty and we were cramming in a week, getting a semester in a week. And the guy wrote on the board that which is most personal is most universal. He never referred to it. It was a class of probably 40 guys. And over the course of the week, you know, a pastor in Alabama would say something and a guy in Atlanta would say something. And you know what you found out? What I dealt with was what everybody else dealt with. But if I didn't say it, I would never know what anybody else struggled with, which I think is the beauty of scripture. God yeah. tells us the personal things for us to identify with. In in your new book, uh, in your newest book, Rhythms of Renewal, Renewal, you talk about the rhythm of rest, the rhythm of restore, of connect, of create. Which of those is toughest for you? Balancing, juggling. I've heard you say, if one of them's out, they're all out, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, they've all got to be working together in tandem. Which yeah. of those... Do you continually go, that's one of my four tires. This is the one I have to keep putting air in. What would you say? Yeah, rest. I would say rest Mm -hmm. is a foundation. So I ran pretty hard in 20 with a pivot like everyone else. And I was like, get to Thanksgiving, just get to Thanksgiving. And then when Thanksgiving hit, I pretty much um, just collapsed. You know, December was just me sitting on the couch and staring at the tree. And I think it was also the the noise of online too, just was so exhausting that I just couldn't, I couldn't log in. I didn't want to know. I, and, and some people would call that like, Oh, you're such an escape. <laughs> you're just like trying to escape life. I'm like, you know what? I have a lot of things that I've carried this year. And, um, I would say right now the fatigue is real on just the the vitriol, the, 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 the media, the noise. Um, I I would say I, it's kind of one of those things where like, if you don't have something nice to say, then just don't. (laughs) And it's, um, it's not that I don't have something nice to say. I, I feel like I don't know what to say. And, and it's partly because I don't even, I, I'd almost don't even know how I feel. Like there's a lot of there's feelings there, but I don't know how useful they are for other people. And, um, I would say the rest, like, um, I'm, I'm an introvert and it's true that the older you get, the more introverted you become. And so I found last week on a Monday, I had the first time in probably 10 months where I had five hours alone at home with God, because we're homeschooling our seniors. So he's in and out as well. And, um, and I just, 
used to do this every week. I would have Thursdays with God and it was like pajamas on the couch with Jesus. And I would pray or I would sing or I would dance or I'd worship or I'd play piano or journal or read scripture. Like it didn't matter. There was no schedule. There was nothing. It could be. And it was like just this long drawn out, like, let's just hang and like, let's do a heart like (laughs) resuscitation here. And it wasn't until the end of that time that I was like, I couldn't stop crying. I was like, I didn't realize how starved I was for the deep dive. You know, I think sometimes we get the morning and we get the kind of like the journal, but then the kids are up within. And I know not everyone can do that, but I do think there's got to be an annual version of this or a quarterly version of this that just says, I need to plunge the depths with the Lord alone in solitude to know if my heart is even okay, Um, to know how to respond to this. So for rest for me, it requires pursuit. Jesus says, come into my rest. It's not, it's not casual. It doesn't just happen. It's not escape or numbing out is the opposite. It's like, come deep into the, you know, are you tired, burned out? Come get away with me, get away with me, shut all that out, get away with me and you'll recover your life and you'll find rest for your soul. And if I don't have soul rest, then I actually can't speak with honesty or vulnerability or empathy or tenderness to other people. Uh, My pain is just kind of sideways energy spilling out onto others. And, and, and so because of that, I think all of us actually need rest more than any other rhythm because the rest, in my opinion, that's why I did it first of the, of all the four, they're building blocks. Rest is the foundation for heart health. Yep. Like, and if our heart is not okay, then out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then out of those words, um, relationships are affected. Um, work is affected. Impact is affected. If we don't have soul centering rest, then every room we enter, the side effects are felt. The wake, the wake of chaos is seen. And as a leader, as a leader, if we don't take that seriously, and now for some people, contemplatives, it comes very easily. Um, For my husband, Gabe, it doesn't come as easily. He's an activator. He's, he's like the energizer buddy. I'm like, stop, slow down and turn the music off. I can't take it all. (laughs) So I do think people have different capacity and different thresholds for that. Um, But no matter what, if you're picking up your phone first before, like for me, my rule is I just don't have my phone in the same room. I definitely don't look at social media before probably 10 or 11 in the morning. I don't, um, I don't barely pick it up on the weekends. I don't want to see it. It's not helpful for me to connect with my family. Those are just extreme rules I've had to set in place because it's almost um, uh, created a a spirit of discouragement and defeat. Mm. Um, The whole just cloud itself, the iCloud. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Um, The bubble of noise versus like, wow, when you get away, you'll recover your life when you come, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, if Jesus burden about the state of our union is light right now, then why is mine so heavy? That's right. You know, I'm clearly not going to him as a source. I'm going to all these other feeds as a source. Mm. And I don't, I just, it's not who I want to be. And I just, I told, I told my community, I was like, I'm not going to repeat a year of fear. I just, I don't function well in fear. I'm kind of, I, again, I'm, I think I'm made to be, I think we're all made to be brave. Um, we just need to be reminded of that. You, you know, and I love that too, Rebecca, because it's easy for somebody to read your book and go, wow. So once you write it, then it makes it easier to live it. Well, it doesn't make it any easier to live it. You know, you wrote in there, the reason we're so stressed out and burned out is because we've forgotten how to rest. But yet as you live out life, it's hard. 
And yeah. we're on a continual pursuit. As we get ready to wrap up today, you talked about learning communities. You know, there is lots of people that are going, yes, me too. I am right there with Rebecca. And I need a community of people around me that help me. Tell everybody a little bit about the learning communities you guys have created. I love this. Oh, yeah. Well, we created a Rhythms for Life learning community. It's a monthly um, group that we I do a live every week with them. And we do Q&A. It's like conversation back and forth. Um, and what I love about it is that we every every week we talk about rest. The second week is restore, third week is connect, the fourth week is create. And, and then we go through scripture because I just think obviously that's the foundation of our soul rest. Um, my, my goal here is that we live um, this iron sharpening iron out in a way that has sustained emotional health. And if we're supposed to run the race in Hebrews 12, it's not just about running. It's about running with endurance. Well, how do you run with endurance? Well, you have to have a sustainable plan. You know, you could do a sprint, but you can't do a sprint with endurance. You can only do a sprint for a short amount of time. And what I find right now culturally is there's a lot of sprints and then a lot of collapsing, right? You know, right in the lane. If we're looking for endurance, it's that long obedience in the same direction of having a group of people around you to go, hey, I think you need to press the brake right now and pay attention to this blind spot over here. Um, and that only really happens in community. I think endurance happens in community. And so we just felt convicted to go, how can we help people no matter where they are, they all log in at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning and they know that they're going to find friends there that are helping run that race together. That's so good. And we'll have a link in our show notes for somebody to get involved in that and also links to your books and your devotional, which is so good. Final thing I've got for you today, Rebecca. When your race is done, the race you've run of, of being a mom and a wife, a race you've won of being a, a leader, and all said and done, what are the first words you hope the Lord says to you when he wraps you in his arms for the mm. first time? You've read about it, you've sung about him, but now you see him. Mm. And he looks you eyeball to eyeball and speaks to you. What do you hope he says to you? Um, that's good. Um, just that, like, when my eyes roam the, the earth looking for whose heart was completely mine, I found yours. Like, I just want him, I want to be known for, like, how much I truly loved him. And I felt loved by him. Like, in the end, if we can feel that love and receive that love, like, everything else is second. Um, and I, I start a lot of my prayers with, like, Jesus, Father, spirit, whoever, all of you, um, all of you is one, like, I just love you. And I'm thankful that you love me. Like it's, it's a real relationship in the end. And you would, you do anything, you die for the ones you love. And, um, I, yeah, just that he knew that he would acknowledge and know how much I loved him and how much, and how much I knew he loved me. I hope you enjoyed that time with Rebecca. You know, I, I got off the call with her that day and her transparency, her willingness to use her story to make other stories better, to find the purpose they were created for is so inspiring. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for using the lessons you learned to find your rhythm, your rhythm. Thanks for using those lessons to help us find ours. We are better for that time together. Thank you so much. 
Rebecca. Boy, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to pause, go to iTunes, and leave a review and a rating. It helps so much other people find their way to us and find their way to these stories of amazing leaders like Rebecca who are using their journey to bless others' journeys. Well, Rebecca is known all over the United States. The gentleman that we're going to talk to next week in our next episode may not be known all over the United States, but I'm going to tell you something. He is living out his call in the space and place that God has put him in. His name is Tommy Alleygood. He's the mayor in the suburb of Atlanta of a little town called Ackworth, Georgia, but he's one of the most influential people I have ever known in life and leadership, and you are going to love Tommy Alleygood. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I pray you go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that He has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.